This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Stephen, Karen, and Steve Zolney of Invertase Brewing Company in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. We had a fabulous time sitting down with them, discussing the brewery, and enjoying some amazing beers that they're brewing there. Be sure to reach out to Invertase Brewing Company and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Invertase Brewing Company. I'm joined by Karen, Stephen, and Steve Zolne. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Karen, Stephen, and Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So we're here in Phillipsburg, New Jersey on a Wednesday afternoon, a beautiful, crisp fall day. And what I want to know is, how did Invertase Brewing get started? So that's, that's kind of a story between myself and, and this old guy. Um, <laughs> when I was 14, believe it or not, um, surprising to say, um, I bought my dad, this old guy, a uh, uh, one of those homebrew make your own bad beer in a bucket kits for Father's Day. Okay, and we had never made beer before or anything junk like that, and they were all amazed that this fourteen year old kid can buy a beer kit. But apparently, that's legal to do. You can buy all the ingredients. You can't buy the beer, but you can buy the ingredients. Um, and we brewed a batch of terrible. I think it was like a Cascade Pale Ale on the kitchen stove. Much to mom's dismay. <laughs> was it the smell or the mess? The mess. Unholy, unholy mess. <laughs> mess. Unholy mess. The smell worked out good, but uh, so we, we brewed our, our first batch of terrible bad pale ale in a bucket and uh, kind of got hooked on making beer and started making beer together. Um, a few batches a year, all reasonably drinkable swill water. Um, eventually started getting better at it and started because, you know, if you're drinking bad swill water, you want to improve. So you don't have to drink swill water anymore. Um, eventually got better and better and better and, and, you know, graduated from, you know, bad beer kits to designing our own recipes and reading all the homebrew books and talking to the homebrew shop guys and reading articles and doing that kind of stuff. Graduated from, you know, extract brewing to all grain brewing and, and you know using we grew our own hops in the backyard and all the, the stereotypical home brewer activities and, and and improved and got better and better and better and eventually said hey you know what would be really cool because our beer is kind of half decent we should start a brewery and uh, it's kind of ran with it from there now you characterize the beer you were home brewing as bad 
What kept you coming back to redo that I for think, the both of you? Because mom's like, get that out of my kitchen, right? I think that was part of the fun, was irritating mom at the oh, beginning. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, the part of the, the compelling reason that kept us going was we said, hey, this is terrible. Um, we don't necessarily want to drink bad beer. I don't want to take the occasional sip at 14 of terrible beer. Um, we should improve on this because it's a fun activity. It's a father. So it's so it was a good bonding we father a good and time. son activity. You enjoyed your company together, the creativity, working with your hands, waiting to see what all that labor produced at the end, right? right? And so you know, you do all that. You have a lot of fun, which is great. That's a cool byproduct. Father and son are not you know screaming at each other. We're having a good time in the kitchen, which is cool. We're irritating mom, which is always cool. Um, and uh, we said, you know, it would be awesome. Another cool byproduct out of that is good beer. <laughs> so we, we, we continued to pursue it and uh, iterated on batches and reading books and saying, oh, it would be really cool if we made, you know, rather than just paleos, we made a really cool stout. And we go and research on stouts and make a really bad stout and say, well, that one sucked. Let's make something better next time. And what do we do? How do we, you know, get the right ingredients and the right hops and the right yeast and better things and improve on it? Because as Zolnays, we never do anything halfway. Yeah, we don't sit around. <laughs> we research the hell out of everything, and we we do the best we can with everything. So well, the interesting note on that, though, is by the time he was in his early 20s, he had surpassed me in the skill set, and he was actually starting to put out some pretty good beers, which made me very happy because I could consume that for him um, but so we decided to enter him in a decent size uh, competition and it was a, there was a fair number of you know people in that and he thought he was the bomb at that point and was going to take <laughs> home every medal as all 20 year olds do <laughs> and he did very well but he didn't win and winning failure is not an option and for two months he went dark on us he was in his room silent Feeding everything on the planet, and the next batch of beer he made was like, "Ooh, now we're talking." So the failure actually created him to really drive hard to say, "Listen, I gotta, I gotta up my game to get into that higher level." And that that really just went and said, "Okay, it looks like this is something we could actually do." Now we're here at where the whole brewing company is. How did this space? How did this brewing company come to be? So we had a man weekend. The, the girls said it was a baby shower or something. And so my son and I and our son-in-law decided to come up here to this area. And we stopped at Weyerbacher, which is a scion in this industry. I mean, they've been around for 27 years. So we went and shot some guns and ate some barbecue and then stopped at Weyerbacher and had a couple yeah, of Yeah, because I don't remember the firing range being at Weyerbacher. So <laughs> it's a couple of helps. It's a, a couple few blocks down. down but yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, you have axe throwing. I don't know if the yeah. firearms are going to make their way into the brewing scene, but who knows? Yeah, hey, you know. Up here all, in the Lehigh Valley, why not? <laughs> exactly. So while sitting there sipping a few beers, that's when we said, well, what do we think about maybe potentially opening a brewery. And uh, I said, well, being a business, business person, why don't I sit down and do the math? And what I found to be very valuable in that conversation is that as you increase in size, you do not, so if you go from one, one unit to two units, you don't have to double the labor in your brew house because it's very scalable, uh, basically with pumps and equipment. So you can go from a $10,000 brewery to a million dollar brewery and only really add a few people. So when I looked at the math of that, I said, this is actually, if you can grow this business and grow it successfully, it's a very good business to be in. Now, 
talk about scalability mm -hmm. and scaling, you're home brewing. You're doing small batch brewing, going through the process of, as you said, you're not using extracts, now you're using grains. What was, hey, setting up your brewery in the back, what was that like for you as well as now taking those recipes and drawing them out to where they are today? Right, so that for me um, was, A, was a lot of fun. Because, um, you know, you have a, you know, you iterate on a, a batch, let's call it, you iterate on a, on a Belgian triple, right, at home in your buckets. And you go, wow, I really love this, this beer. Now taking that and scaling it up to, you know, we're a three barrel brew house here, you know, from five gallons to 93 gallons is, is quite a big step. Um, that's where a lot of trust in your recipe um, Iterating on that recipe so much, being familiar with, okay, this is exactly the notes that I'm looking for, exactly, you know, ranges of ABVs and things like that. Um, trusting in that, knowing it's going to be different, there, there, there's no, no two ways around that. You're a completely different system, completely different size. Um, taking that and then iterating on that larger size. Um, Really, that's it's part of the fun of brewing. Um, is, is realizing it's going to be different. Realizing that there are levers that you can pull to to get things out of it that you want to. Um, I have the luxury here of because I'm a mechanic engineer and I'm very detail oriented and crazy. Um, I actually designed and built our brew house. So it is tailor-made to my process. And your style. And, and the style. beers that you want to brew, right? Exactly. Um, so doing a big step from I'm brewing in buckets and, and now I'm brewing in, you know, nice stainless pots at home. And I bought myself a little uni tank that is a scaled down version of the big tanks that we have to start to learn those processes. I've never brewed on a commercial scale before. I brew in my basement. Steve's homebrew kind of thing, which is great and fun. Completely different from a commercial setting. So being able to do some of those practices at, at home um, really eases that scale up. Um, and then having a system that is tailored to my process. Um, everybody's process is a little different. Um, then I don't have to learn a brew house too. If I go to, you know, to name some big names, Portland Kettle Works or SS Brew Tech or whoever and say, I want a brew house, this is tailor made for, well, this is the industry standard on a brew house and you also have to learn that. Um, there's a lot of additional nuances there that you have to familiarize yourself and you end up dumping some batches in the beginning because, so I don't like this, it's different. Um, it may not come out as the end result that you like. Um, I didn't have to go through that because I made our brew house. So He's also the repairman on the brew house as well. That helps. <laughs> Something fixes, I know what's wrong. <laughs> well, let's face it. You now own a brewery. You're also, hey, you're cleaning the bathrooms. You're, you're scrubbing the floors, all those things. Karen, what was your impression or what was your response when, you know, there's, there's this return home and saying, we're building a brewery? I said, you can build a brewery. That's great. I am not cleaning bathrooms. <laughs> that was my exact response. <laughs> well, so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, I, at that time, was working in a, call it, dead-end corporate job. I had a wonderful engineering degree, and I went into industry. And I'm a design engineer working in a firm, and it's great and wonderful. And I look down the row of cubicles, and I see myself. Then I see a guy 10 years older than me, and a guy 10 years older than me, and a guy 10 years older than that. And the guy at the end of the cubicle is the boss, and he's going to retire next year. This is this is my life. Look down the cubicle road. That's my life. I'm working for somebody else's dream. 
I'm working for somebody else's profit. I make, I got security. I have, you know, a good paycheck and I got benefits and all this, but I'm, I'm, I'm schlepping myself into work every single day. It's great. It's a wonderful job. A lot of people do it. It wasn't for me. And so I come here and say, I'm working for myself and my own boss. That's wonderful. I'm willing to clean bathrooms. I'm willing to mop the floor. I'm willing to scream at suppliers on the phone. Where are my malts? I'm willing to, you know, design brew houses and do that because it's my dream. It's our dream. It's not my boss's 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 dream. And I'm collecting $20 at the end of the day. Now your brewery is three years old. Hmm? What was, or what has been the response from family, friends, people that knew you in, you know, you're, as you said, you're working a job. Steven, Steve, you said you just retired. Retired, yeah. Karen, you've just been keeping everybody in line, taking care of the goats and the chickens and everything else, right? What was, what's been the response from friends, family, and everybody else that you know that knew you before three years ago? Oh, I think they've all been really supportive and really helpful. Um, well, they should sister. for free beer, yes. Well, my sister is actually our graphic artist, too, and she does all of our artwork, all of our can labels, um, you know, everything that you see that's printed, hanging on the wall, she has designed and, and done. That actually was our daughter's painting. Painting. Our daughter did that um, during COVID. That was her COVID art. <laughs> well, I think really... But no, everybody's been really supportive and, and very helpful. and Swung hammers and helped paint. Swung hammers and, and yeah. I think at no, the end of the great. day, there was no real surprise. <laughs> well, too. Hey, we're doing something crazy. We're starting a big, awesome, crazy project. That's that's not surprising coming from us. It's we're right. always doing something. We're never sitting still. Yeah. Well, um, as <laughs> as parents, we were always really supportive of our kids and their dreams and desires. And you know, all of our we've got three children, two more besides him. Um, they all had little things that they wanted to do growing up. You know, I want to start a business. I want to do this. I want to do that. And we were always really supportive and there for them and to guide them and things like that. So this was just another one of those things for our kids um, that we supported and, and watched grow and helped flourish. And this one so, happened to be on a slightly this, larger scale. This one was <laughs> So if you had come scale. home at 14 with a build-your-own-nuclear reactor kit... <laughs> hey, you never know. <laughs> you... In the short time we've had a chance to get to know each other, you're very technical. You're very detail-oriented, all of you together. Where where does that come from? And do you realize that about, you know, how you oh, yeah. come together as a partnership? <laughs> I think that comes... Well, I mean, that's a science background thing. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer. Very detail-oriented. It just comes with the nature of that. Um, you guys are both science background people. We've all... I mean, it's just kind of the way... It's just the way we are. The we way are. We think, the way we're <laughs> so you've, what you've created here is the science of brewing beer. This is yes. the art and science comes together for right. you. Where does that creative side fit in? Because I've met, we, Dawn and I, have met a lot of technical people. And from an engineering background, there's a structure. Oh, yeah. But getting outside that structure sometimes can be a little bit challenging and uncomfortable. How does that work its way into the art and the creativity of brewing beer? Well, so that was a real step change for me. Because um, as a home brewer, it was let's be creative, let's have fun, let's let's. I'm not saying that we don't have fun. I have tons of fun here. Um, let's be great. Let's make weird things. Let's make you know all kinds of lunacy. Let's try this. Let's try that. Hey, this is a cool hop. Let's put this in, kind of thing. Um, 
this, because I was working in corporate world at a manufacturing job where we design something manufacturing, here's the bill of material and here is the you know, cost of this and we have to make this economically viable and the guy on the line has to assemble it. That's very applicable in a commercial brewery setting. It's a mindset of I'm brewing commercially. Consistent. Making a consistent, hey, when I make pale ale, my pale ale up there, the first on the list, it is pale ale every single day. It has to be the same every single day. And that's not an accident. There's a lot of science that goes into maintaining that reproducibility. So you take the art of, ooh, I really want to do, you know, a bourbon barrel aged imperial raspberry stout, right? Awesome. I really want to drink that. <laughs> so you might be able to. <laughs> I want to take and that. So that's art. I, as I start with, I'm starting it with the art, right? As I go, okay, this is something really, really cool. And I geek out. I get really excited. I want to do that. And then the engineer kicks in. And I say, okay, I want to take that art. I want to make it reproducible. I want to make it economically viable. I want to make it work for my system. I want to make it work in, in, in a production environment. I want to be able to make it next year if I want to. I have to figure out how am I going to package this? How am I going to, what's the label artwork going to look like? I call on my aunt and say, hey, this is what we're looking at. Let's fight about artwork now. And, and you know, taking that art of the beer, geeking out on that, being all excited, and then putting it in a production commercial environment. It's kind of where the rubber hits the road um, between the two for me. But also, in, in the, the, as being scientists, we always question it. For example, uh, everybody puts out a chocolate stout or a chocolate porter, and they usually just go get chocolate. Why can't we get the best chocolate in the world? So we sort sought out, there was a woman in Lima, Peru, that she sources from family farms of five people size uh, that were being ripped off by the chocolate brokers, and you can taste the terroir of the land that they're growing it on, and we're paying them, a, a, you know, a reasonable wage for that cocoa nibs that are coming to end up in our brewery. So when you drink a beer that's oh, it's chocolate in there. No, this is amazing chocolate coming from halfway around the planet and helping good people. So being a scientist and questioning ends up being very creative with the very unique beer that we put on every every uh, year. In a previous life, or just to sustain myself, I, I'm a chef. So when Dawn and I go out to dinner and we have a nice meal, she already knows either during the meal or by the time we're on our way home, I've already started to deconstruct that and decide how I can say, I, I love this. This is great. How can I make this? But there are things I want to add to it. Like you said, that coffee stout or that coffee porter, how do we source a better chocolate? How do we make it better? Yep. When you are out and maybe you're enjoying beer from another brewing company, do you find yourself either naturally, consciously, unconsciously already deconstructing that beer? <laughs> so, you do, don't you? Guy. So yeah. there were wise words I heard when we when we had started circulating, hey, we want to start a brewery. So I don't even remember who it was at this point. It was a fellow brewer came to me and said, you want to start a brewery, your home brewer, that's wonderful. You are going to drink less beer when you were a commercial brewer. And I went, yeah, yeah, right, I'm gonna access. He was right. When I drink beer now, I am not hanging out in a bar until 2 a.m. pounding beers. I am sitting quietly in the corner booth with a five ounce taster. 
and geeking out over what is in here, what hops are in here, what's that, well, where did you or get the chocolate from? He's taking it home and he's got the pH meter and the right. Yeah, you're taking it <laughs> to a whole new level. Right. And yeah, um, and that, can, that's can I have a to go cup, Tupperware for this, please? Yeah. I'm I'm going to take this <laughs> home and we deconstruct. Have, this. We have sent beers to contract labs to have them run mass spec on beers. We have you can see the charts on the sidewall over there. Invertase. How'd you come up with the name? So that was my dumb idea. So, <laughs> so we wanted to have something was that was science-based. And Invertase is the first enzyme in the beer-making process. It splits the sugars apart because the yeast can't eat sticky sugar. It can only eat one, one sugar molecule at a time. So that I thought that would be a really clever name. And it really definitely puts a footprint that we are scientists. And people who are scientists definitely respond to it and come in and are excited. And we talk about crimes of science and so forth. When you name it as your website, it also become, it, it was dumb luck, but it was brilliant because we come up first, second, third, fourth, and fifth if you, if you Google search us. And if you misspell it, we still come up first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. So uh, that was dumb luck. But happy accident. The happy accident, mm-hmm. which we, I will gladly take all credit for. So. That's and how this, <laughs> this little square yes. is actually a stylized version of the Invertase enzyme. It really comes through, and I, and I love that connection. And sometimes, you know, as you're brewing beer, as you're creating names, sometimes they become really happy accidents, correct? Mm-hmm. When we come back, let's talk beer. Let's taste some of your beer and enjoy and get your perspective on what you're brewing. Is that okay? Sounds great. Pardon the interruption. If you like what you hear, if you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast. Please take a screenshot of the podcast Post it on your social media. Tag us just to let everybody else know about Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We'd be grateful for your help to grow our podcast. We're back. And I have to tell you, I see those pours of beer and my mouth is watering. And I'm excited based on even learning your story and everything about Invertase brewing through a little bit of the tour that we took. I mean, you're growing your own hops behind the building here. Who does that? I mean, I know there are some that do that, but you've got like acres of hops growing back there. And we use them too. It's not just for show. Okay. <laughs> and this lady has a tissue culture hood in the basement because she's in charge of our sterility program and our yeast program. Yeah. Our intention is to eventually, it's a long road, is to have our proprietary yeast strands that we make. So you're, this is where the science, I, this is, all right, you mentioned geeking out. All right, so this is where you get into such nuance of brewing and creating a flavor profile that you're now harvesting your own yeast strain. We're working on on getting our own proprietary strain, it's, but it's it's a process. It's a long process. You know, he's got to brew something that he really likes and say, okay, we need to take this yeast, grow it up, harvest it, you know, cell culture and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we have to do small batch analysis to make sure that this yeast is the yeast he wanted and you know it, it produces the flavor profiles that he wants. So it's a long, long process. But we're hoping someday to have our own proprietary yeast strains. Where, so, I mean, you said things about brewing and the, the yeast, but are you cultivating a wild yeast or are you lab producing I guess is the best way to put it, a yeast strain. So if you take a standard yeast and you put it into a fermenter and you make a batch of beer, you've made, you've stressed that yeast and that yeast evolves and it evolves in multiple ways. So you now have, if you collect from that 
stressed environment at the end of making that beer and you start to tease individual ones out and grow up small little colonies, you can start to test and to see does it have, does it throw out some interesting little flavor profile that wasn't there before. So you have to create a whole army of colonies and then go through and figure out which one may be useful to you and has the right qualities or characteristics, which is probably a five to 10 year process to do that. But a lot of people, as you know, the very large brewery up in Massachusetts, Treehouse, has done that. And because of that, you can never duplicate their flagship beer because that yeast strain has a, a, a small difference than a standard yeast strain. You can't just order that online. Yeah. You know? This is why, to me, where you are in the craft space fascinates me. And I think that as the consumer, for Dawn and I, we get to enjoy this artistry that you can't just get out of a large manufacturing process of making beer. You guys can take the PT boat and zip all around the ocean here, and you can come across little things. And creating your own yeast strain, while it's going to take maybe five to ten years, it sounds like you're already on the right track where you're getting a sense of, right, as you said, Steve, hey, we'll take out this little characteristic. And for you, Stephen, you're saying, hey, this is what I want out of this yeast. That sounds fascinating. Right. And that's, that's an incredibly long road, um, which is a lot of fun, um, in the middle of running a production environment. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a trade-off between you know, running the business at the same time, doing the artistry, maintaining the craft, um, doing a good service to all of our customers, producing amazing beers, and always trying to improve, and that's part of, of that program is, is improving and making these beers stand out even more. Um, that's that's really what we're what we're going for. What that's why we're, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Karen. That's why we're still a three barrel system here too. It's we're small enough that we can be nimble and you know do all these neat things that you're that you're explaining here that you're talking about. So along that subject, occasionally we'll get other brewers that will come in. Some will actually identify themselves as brewers, others won't. But you can usually tell because of the way they're looking and thinking and scratching. Um, and we had scratching, <laughs> scratching their, their chin. Oh, right. I'm just, I don't know what brewers are scratching. I have to look out for that. <laughs> so this one woman came in and she did not identify herself, but I went up after a few minutes and said, are you a brewer? And she said, yes, I am. And then I said, where are you affiliated with? And she says, uh, Sam Adams. And I was knocked flat pretty quickly because that's somebody who's, you know, that's a very reputable organization. And she says, I'm actually jealous. I said, why are you jealous? She says, because you get to be the PT boat. You get to be nimble. You get to try all sorts of things. I am making the same batch of beer for the next six months straight. And I'm doing it with forklifts and giant hoses coming from a train. You are actually able to play and find and create new unique things and get that instant gratification three weeks later on that new beer. To your point, though, I mean, if Invertaste Brewing Company grows into the size of Sam Adams, would you be disappointed? Because you, all of your efforts to get there, I mean, it's it's so easy. I get it. And that's why when you start to look at um, more of the, what, the distiller space, what a lot of these Kentucky distillers mm-hmm. and these Tennessee distillers are doing, when they see the popularity of these craft distillers, they're creating a small batch craft distilling space. Sam Adams can certainly do that, but if this project, this little three-year, uh, 14 years old dad, let's brew some beer together, turns into a Sam Adams-sized business, 
would you be upset? So there's a it's, we're talking about the marriage between doing art and doing science. It's it's definitely that debate. Um, finding the balance between the two. Um, absolutely, I want the entire world to taste the product that we make. You know, taste a beer and you go, wow. I want to share this with the world. Of course. I want everybody, absolutely. You want the entire population to go, wow, this is great. This is amazing. You know, this, this small brewery made this amazing thing. Um, not at the expense of doing a disservice to the craft, doing a disservice to the customers and producing substandard product. Um, still being nimble enough to do amazing, exciting projects, still being, you know, maneuverable enough and, and crafty enough to, you know, we have our own niche train. We have our own, you know, special cocoa nibs that we use. All of those things are very important to our identity and our brand. Um, suddenly producing 10 million barrels of, of, of pale ale to throw in every single liquor store in the entire world is not necessarily the end goal. I reflect on what you said about looking up the cubicle line. Yeah. You do not want to find yourself in a corner office overlooking a large production facility just watching computer screens. I love what I do. Yeah. I don't want to... But I, I, I think that there's... <laughs> I wonder, because I asked that question, because I think as, as you know, you go through the progression of home brewer to I'm starting a brewery to you gain some traction to now you have a three-year-old brewery and you're gaining success, making your own e-stream, growing your own hops. At what point does that ladder of success, where do you stop and say... We're comfortable. This is okay. We're in the happiness business. When this, this is, people come here to be happy and have a good time. But that's also our happiness as well. And I think that that border where wait a minute is when we're not happy. If I'm stuck doing reports for nine hours and then maybe able to come out and shake Don's hand and that's it, then that's not happiness. So I think those are probably where our borders are. However, if InBev wants to write us a check for $1 billion, <laughs> we'd be happy to start another small homebrew and, uh, and work there. We'll take the check. There's also a sense of realism that has to be, you know, accompanied everything. Um, you know, well, we do this out of passion. We do this out of joy, you know. Um, we really enjoy the customers. We really enjoy the creativity. We really enjoy the science. And that's why we're doing this. We are out back, and you are growing your own hops. What... Uh, hops are you growing back there? Uh, so those hops out there are, are, are two of the best growing hops in this state. Um, this Cascade and Nugget out there. Um, those hops actually came from our terrible hop garden back at home. <laughs> um, Mom said, get these out of my backyard. They are taking over everything because hops do that. Um, and so we, we brought them here as a fun kind of little side project of, hey, this is a little cool demonstration garden of what hops look like. You know, you go to vineyards and you see the grapevines or you go to orchards and you see all the apples. Wow. You come here, you see the hops. Um, and smell and taste because we crush them up. And, and, and do that. And we have, you know, when, when it's harvest season, I actually have a glass sitting on the end of the counter with those hops in it. And I say, hey, oh, that, that beer there. That beer there has these hops. Here, smell this hop and feel and touch and taste. All right, now taste this beer. You see where that comes from now. Um, and, and it's really cool for our, our customers to walk out there all summer and see those hop vines growing. And in the fall, I do a, a wet hop beer with those hops. I say, hey, you saw all those hops grow? They're in there. And that's a really cool, you know, bridging the gap between the agricultural and the art and all that into here is the final product. Taste it. 
Then it sounds like we missed the wet hot beer that you made. Unfortunately, you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what beer? What beer haven't we missed? Where do you want to start here? So we have four different beers here. Um, generally, when we do tastings, I start um, from least aggressive to most aggressive in flavor, um, just so you don't burn out your palate and now you can't taste anything. Um, so I have on the tap list. We have we have ten different beers on tap now. Um, four of those beers up on the tap list are what we call our core beers. Um, so I have a pale ale, that's on this tasting. I have a Belgian triple. I have a New England IPA, it's our flagship beer. And then I have a uh, Imperial Breakfast Stout. Those are always on. The other ones on the tap list rotate all the time. Um, so I have three of the core four here. Um, so I have our pale ale, 1600. I have 1954 as our flagship hazy New England IPA. 1726 is our super dark uh, breakfast stout, imperial breakfast stout. And then I have a fun one on here. It's one of our seasonals. It's actually our birthday beer. We brew it every year um, for our birthday at the beginning of October. It's called Keep It Coming, which is kind of a cool app name. Um, that is a raspberry lemon fruited sour. I was waiting for Dad to throw in some sort of movie line reference somewhere along the Not way. Not yet. <laughs> no? Okay. How did the names come about? It You're numbering them. So, when we were... We get this question all the that time. That is literally... And we're starting with the ale, yes? So, you're going to start with 1600. That is a pale ale. Nice, light, crisp, super easy drinking beer. Um, when people come in and say, I don't really like beer. I want something, you know, nice, easy drinking we push them towards that. Um, I have some other seasonal things that you can push towards as well, but that is the one that's always on. Um, that was actually, we talked about make our own bad beer kit, the pale ale. That is the grandfather, 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 grandfather of that beer. Um, so that one, um, I'm just, I'm just admiring the, um, the veil on that right now. And just the whatever, the I, what lacing. do you call this? Lacing. Lacing. lacing, but then you get whatever design comes on top, and it just looks like a, um, a tree growing <laughs> out of. kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it's kind of like, oh, look, there's a tree growing out of there. I mean, every pour is different, and that's kind of cool, too. Um, so that beer, not super bitter. There is a little bit of hops. It is a dry hop to beer, not anything crazy. Um, a little bit of malty, biscuity notes on the background, really to hold up all those hops, support everything. What we're looking for in a beer like that um, is something very smooth, very easy drinking. You can come back and have a whole pile of them if you want. It's not too aggressive in ABV. That one's 5.4, um, so not, not crazy. You can have a bunch of them. You can enjoy it, you know, sitting outside on the back deck in the summertime. That's a great beer for that. Um, I refer to that as my lawnmower beer. After done cutting the grass... You kick back in a chair and you drink a pint of that. And now I, I don't, I don't know if this is the father and son connection thing. <laughs> My dad wasn't a big beer guy, and he'd occasionally, you know, it was only any time he was firing up the grill that he'd have a beer. But when I noticed this the first time, the first reaction I had was, "I'm of age where I remember what Veteran Stadium was like," <laughs> and the nose on that brought me to Veteran Stadium. And the flavor, as you described it, is very easy to drink. Definitely yeah. after you're cutting the lawn on there, creaminess. Mm -hmm. I like how the bitterness of the hops takes you to a certain point and it just leaves it there. Yeah. Where you just get to have that sit on the mouth, but it doesn't overpower. And you just, I, I'm like, I want another one of these. I want, right. like, I can do several of these and enjoy it. So one of the things that we always strive here for and when I'm, when I'm, when I'm brewing or I'm iterating in the pilot system or, or working on a new recipe is I'm looking for 
you know, beers that I actually like to drink, beers that you can come back and enjoy a few, beers that are, are, are well-balanced. Um, there is a time and a place for aggressive punch you in the face. Um, occasionally. The vast majority of our beers you will find have very nice balance, very, very smooth structure. Um, one of our taglines is the smoothness of the beers. Is There's nothing super aggressive and sharp anywhere. It's all very easy, palatable, nice drinking beers. I want you to enjoy yourself while you're here. I want you to be able to have a few of them and hang out and have fun. That's all part of, you know... This seems like a very community-oriented space, exactly. right? Absolutely. I mean, you've got this production area in the back then you go off to the side where you've got tables and you've got the back with the fire pits but i get a sense for i'm not familiar with the the town but i get the sense that this is a a space that you're generating community about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh during the pandemic uh during the summer when the weather changed because we have such a large beer garden it became a huge gathering place we'd have 150 people playing trivia on a Thursday night because you could sit at that table and we would sit at this table and we could pretend that this is normal again and people really that was their outlet for for the week to come and actually relax and pretend that the world is not and the fire. beer garden is big enough that you know we can hold 150 people out there very safely yeah, safely and safely yeah. you mentioned COVID and I'm curious where you started was just prior to the yeah. pandemic. Wasn't kind of, in the business plan. Yeah, so what, what, you know, talk about that a little bit and your experience. So, A, we didn't know better, but we just keep swinging, so we're not going to give up. Um, but So we were open for four months, and we were starting to get traction, and then we were shut down for two months. So my son and I played ball in the parking lot, and people would show up, and we'd give them cases of beer, and they'd go off into the darkness, and that was enough to cover the rent. And then as the spring came on, uh, the beer garden carried us on very nicely. Uh, during that two-month period when we were uh, closed, uh, we had just engaged with a trivia person to do trivia with us. Uh, and then he, he said, oh, I guess we can't do it anymore. And just by dumb luck, I said, why don't we do a Friday night Zoom meeting trivia and people can come get beers here and then go home and we'll just have a fun thing. And it was a blast because you just got to, again, have a little sense of community. The neat part was when we reopened the beer garden and they all came for the first time, they became just permanent customers and and fast friends fast friends they're like hey yeah, you were I up in the you. corner yeah. yeah you were up in the right corner i remember you from you know the zoom thing so they just became like fast friends and, and it was great yeah. you know we developed a little what covid community there and people yeah. would come and gather and catch up with each other and, and became friends and that's also why these tables are eight feet long it's it's not not seven and a half, not eight and a half, <laughs> eight very, feet long. I know you're very technical. <laughs> well, it's easy. You don't have to cut eight foot boards. But, but, but then it allows people to congregate together rather than just the two of you cuddle in the corner over there. And you start to build relationships and start talking to people and say, hey, what other breweries did you go to? Have you tried this beer? What do you think of this one? That. Well, that's, that's the beauty of the craft beer industry in and of itself. And I'm sure you've heard it multiple times. It's amazing to see... People come together over beer, you know. It's it's you know we've had professors of economics and you know biker grungy Harley guys sitting at the same table talking about the economics of Harley Davidson <laughs> over a pint of beer, and it's amazing because those people generally I don't want to speak out of turn and say that people hate each other, but generally those people may not. Co-mingle or co No, I mean, under, under different circumstances, you wouldn't find them together. But 
when you come into this communal space where you're just enjoying what you enjoy as beer, you're trying new things, you get to sit down and say, oh, which one did you try? Right. I mean, you know, we've this what we're doing now is exactly what Dawn and I love to do on our fermented adventure. That, you know, we go and get our, you know, our flight or our standout and we'll go grab a, a pint or something and we'll just sit there and we'll talk to people and we'll learn their stories and they'll tell us, you know, what they enjoyed. Oh, did you try this one? And then we're going back to the bar and, you know, getting something new. That's what's so much fun here. Well, and we greet everybody and we always ask, where are you from? And we also asked, what do you do? And the neat one was there was two guys who got out of a grungy pickup truck, and they were completely covered with dust. And I asked them, what do you do for a living? And he says, we are custom custom cabinetry guys. And I said, well, where do you do your work? He says, we have a space out here in Phillipsburg because it's, you know, a, a freedom to operate and in you know, a large area. But most of our clients are in Manhattan. And I asked him, so who are you working with? And well, it turns out he's working with Sting for six months. So I smiled and I said, you know, we do acoustic musicians. We pay 200 but Sting, and Sting, if you're listening, uh, we, we <laughs> offer got a great venue here for it. <laughs> 250 for Sting if you'd like to come and play. So, uh, and all the beer he can drink. And all right. the beer he can drink. And you'll name a beer after him if, uh, if it all goes well, wouldn't you? Right. <laughs> it would have to be a number, though, maybe. I don't know. So, 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 right. so, so the numbers, getting back to we came off the rails a little well, bit. Well, what's his beer here? We'll talk about this over a so beer. How about we beer do that? There, that beer there is 1954. Because this is, is a number. That is our flagship beer. It's a hazy New England IPA. That is the one that is near and dear to my heart. Um, that one has a lot of iterations, a lot of touch bastards. I'm a huge IPA guy. I like all beers. Don't get me wrong. Um, IPAs are near and dear to my heart. Um, that one is hands down on any day 45% of our sales. Um, regardless if I push people towards it or not, people gravitate towards it. Um, still, like we were talking about, super easy drinking, super drinkable beer. A um, little bit more hop forward, obviously, than a pale ale. Um, bright citrus, super smooth and creamy. Um, nothing too aggressive. We can get into more aggressive IPAs and things, but that's a flagship for a reason. Um, nice, bright, and citrusy with, with all kinds of juicy notes in the background. Getting back to you know, playing with yeast and stuff, um, yeast interactions between hops and, and things like that. We can geek out for days upon that. Um, but so do you recall the earlier on when we said that he went dark after the not winning the, the tasting yeah. event, and then his next beer was just mind blowing. This is the beer, yeah, and that I can remember it in the backyard. I get a spicy finish to this, like a cardamom mm-hmm. finish to that. Is that what you've added as an ingredient, or is that something playing with something so else? The only things that are in that beer are are water, yeast, barley, hops. It's the only things in there. Um, all of those notes that you're getting are, are either direct direct from yeast, direct from hops, or direct you know, relationship between the two causing um, um, interesting flavors and interesting things. Um, yeah, I, like, I, I almost feel like there's this Indian cuisine influence <laughs> on the finish on that. And that, I'm thinking, all right, what do you pair with a beer? I mean, that this right. would go... Thai food and Indian, Indian food. food goes very well with Yeah, this, but this would go... That's just what I want to have with this beer now. It's interesting, though, to hear you say that because I really enjoy when you get a spare moment in the tap room coming and talking to someone who's doing a flight and say, hey, what do you taste? Because everybody's taste buds are completely Absolutely. different. Absolutely. You know, I can train and I am training to get up to the Master Cicerone level of the crazy beer taster, but my taste buds are only ever going to be my taste buds. 
and sitting down with someone and saying, hey, what do you get out of that beer? And hearing you say, oh, I get this note is, is really interesting for me because I may or may not taste some of these notes and go, wow, that's really cool. You have a different palate than I do, or this person has a different palate, or we have the same palate, and it's, it's amazing to, to hear what everybody's experience is around the beer, and that's part of the, the fun. Stephen, to that point, I mean, that's, again, that's what us coming around that, that fun, friendly communal space. I don't think we've ever had a situation where there was an open spot at a table anywhere and say, hey, can we sit down here? And I don't think we've ever had anybody say no, other than, um, other than you know, if they're expecting more people to come, right? And then you find out, I mean, we just spent uh, a couple of days down in Asheville. And it's the same idea where there's, it just seems like you're not, you know, Steve, you, you characterize it as two people cuddling in a corner. Um, but we like to do that too. And... Um, <laughs> But, but from that standpoint, that when you sit down, you find out, oh, where are you from? What do you do? What do you like to drink? But then we can start geeking out and talking about different nuances of flavor. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, some people say, I, I taste beer. I, I, it's a beer. And I there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that either. Everybody right. has different tastes and likes and desires and palates. And, and somebody may come in and say, I don't like IPAs. I, I hate IPAs. I will not drink them. And it sounds my, like a Dr. Seuss my, novel. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. My response to that is you haven't found an IPA you like. It is not that you hate IPAs. It's not that you hate sours. It's not that you hate dark beers. Right. You haven't found one you like yet. So if you're willing to branch out, let me steer you in a couple directions. What do you normally drink? What do you like to taste? What do you not like to taste? Can I point you towards something that you may not think to reach for that may blow your mind? Or not. You may taste it and say, eh, I still don't like this. Okay. And that's okay. You you have you have your own preferences, your own palate. That's fine. But branching out and finding new things is always part of the fun experience. What well. you said is absolutely true. I mean, I can tell you, for Dawn and I, we don't gravitate towards IPAs. But I would drink that. But you would drink that. I would drink. It's that. gone. That's why it's a flagship for a reason. That's why she finished it. What? What? So I, I, we skirted around this, but how do the numbers come in right. to naming so, the beer? <laughs> Um, so when, when we were gearing up to open and we're formulating business plans and talking about what we want to do, what's our vibe, what's our brand, all that kind of stuff, we're all very sciencey, very, as you've heard, we're all nerds, to call it what it is. Um, but you're cool beer nerds, and that <laughs> right. should be on a t-shirt. There are worse things. <laughs> um, and we said, hey, you know what would be really cool is if we, because we're sciencey nerds kind of deal, and I'm an engineer, and numbers are near and dear to my heart, obviously, um, why don't we take, you know, you go into a, into a bar or brewery and you say, you know, big, long, complicated names. No one reads them anyway. Why don't we make something a little bit more simplistic and take, you know, ingredients, style, history, working titles of the beer. Take those things and twist them into a characteristic number about the beer. Um, so you'll see all of our, our core four up there are numbered beers. 1600s, 3x, 1726, and 1954. Um, you want to guess at 1600, the American pale So they do all have significance. They do all have meaning. Uh, the only thing I can think of is 1600 is Pennsylvania Avenue. You're right. You win. You win a beer. <laughs> I, I, I want a beer. Mystery buff, so. <laughs> so, right. So, so I don't necessarily, because I'm secretive and, and, and mildly introverted, believe it or not, um, <laughs> I don't necessarily tell people. With the numbers. He doesn't That's even tell of, us. Part okay. of the fun, part of my fun is I go, hey, this is the number. Um, and people come in and go, why is it named that? I'm going to tell you. I so say, you can guess at it all day and I give you that spiel. 
And you don't win anything if you get it right. right. You, you, you win, win pride. pride if you feel you need pride. Um, one person got 1954. We've been open for three years in a yeah. month. So... And that one's really convoluted. And that one's convoluted. Good luck. I have a very dark, twisted... Yeah, mind. I mean, I, I, I don't know where to go with <laughs> that. All right. I, I, so I, now, after... So eventually he started doing named beers. What do you think was his first named beer? Because people were always asking, so what's with the numbers? What was his first named beer? Well, is it on the board there? No. Well, then how would I know? <laughs> Arithmophobia, the fear of numbers. Okay. Because <laughs> I was feeling a little snarky because I was tired of hearing people go, what's with the numbers? And tired of giving the spiel day in and day out. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do a named one. And uh, from that point on, we do named beers. Um, I found they're a little bit more, aside from the flagships, they're a little bit more memorable. When people come in, I had one with the number. I don't know what it is. Right. Um, Generally, if I go, what did it taste like? What was that? I can generally find what it was. Um, I find with the named ones, it works a little bit better. Um, you learn as you go. Um, but from a branding standpoint, I love the quirkiness. I thought it was cool. And, and I love how you bring your personality into not just brewing the beer, but you bring your personality into how you name, or in this case, number the beer. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I mean, 1954, I don't even you know where to go with that because you said it is kind of out there good luck yeah um and, and how somebody actually guessed that I'm, I'm sure there's a 20 questions way of getting it I'm out sure. of you or it something a little bit of that. i thought maybe it was dad's birthday i don't know <laughs> and it's not when burger king was founded although someone came in and asked that and apparently yeah. that's the year I'm, 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 I'm scrolling through google saying what happened in 1954 right right so I don't it might not be a year either it Thank could you. be a distance, it could be a measurement, it could be all sorts of things. All right. All and, and we have found, you know, despite my frustration with people going, hey, what's with the numbers, what's with the numbers, you know, 1954 has become a memorable beer. And I say people are having trouble figuring out what the numbers is. That one, because it's flagship, it's always around. Everybody loves it. It's 45% of our sales every day. Everybody comes in and says, hey, give me a 1954. So now the fun part about 1954, we had interacted with uh, the people from Treehouse because they were from the same Brewers Guild where we took commercial brewing. Uh, And the 1954 is similar, not the same, as Julius, which is their flagship beer. Uh, Treehouse came out with a double version of that, which is called Jidda Julius. Go ahead and guess what our double 1954 is called. N- n- <laughs> so that's an homage back to them for some of so, the help. So, I got one of them. And Good. Part, of, yeah. part of that is, is, is as a brewer, as a consumer, as a, as a beer fanboy, call it what you want, um, I hold Treehouse and Nate in very, very high esteem. Um, I really appreciate what they're doing from a business standpoint, from a brewery standpoint. Um, I've spoken to him on a personal level numerous times. We've gone up there and had private conversations about things. I go up there as a fan and buy beers all the time. Um, and, and, you know, when I, when I first met Julius, the beer, um, I said, you know, this is phenomenal. This is amazing. There is a reason why there is a massive line down the street for this beer. Um, I want to make my own Julius. I want to make my own version of a flagship. And pay homage to them. It pays homage. Right. Yeah. It is absolutely no, no. It's don't. not a knockoff. It is not it's a, a knockoff. It's a tribute. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't even call it a tribute. I would call it a, a my, my attempt at being Treehouse. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> on that on that line. So he went up and met with the the brewer. I went up and met with the business person who's Dean. And went in, and he spent four hours walking around with me talking about line management, customer happy, happiness, uh, trash, workflow, things like that. He says, 
you really need to focus. I mean, beer is very important, but you also need to look at customer happiness and flow on how things work because you really don't want people standing in line frustrated or, you know, trash cans overflowing. So, and after four hours of him talking to me, I, I turned to him, I said, don't you have anything better to do? And he said, no, taking care of other breweries and raising the bar on the quality of the industry, not just the beer, but the industry is vitally important. So I would be happy to spend another four hours here talking to you about which pig farmer you should send your grain to if you need to. You know, and, and that was very appreciated. And, and other breweries also were very helpful in providing us with guidance to help us be successful. I'm sure what has come out of that for you while it's, you know, you, you went to a graduate school class and you learned so much in that four hours and it's transferred into helping to develop your customer experience, but it ramps up for the customer experience and you don't have to make so many mistakes. Right. When you take being a home brewer and a lot of people giving you accolades and saying, oh, you're a great home brewer, you should open your own brewery. Well, if you don't have the business sense to do it right. and where you're bringing in, you know, for Karen and Steve and you're bringing in this team and everybody has their roles, you raise the level of what that experience is going to be. And you don't have to make those mistakes where you're disappointing your customer. Right. And the team doesn't end here. Building a network of people, be it the guy with the barbecue or the trivia person uh, or, or the Will farmer. there be a guy with the barbecue coming soon? <laughs> <laughs> comes comes on occasion. Yeah. Okay. So so that network of people, you're getting more ideas and diverse opinions, and it's hilarious that somebody will come in with an idea, and I might think it's the stupidest thing in the world, and we run it, and like, oh my gosh, that was fantastic, and vice versa. Someone comes in with something that's a brilliant idea, and it fails miserably. Of course, but, but try it. See but what try happens. Try it. If you fall flat on your face, it's still forward progress. So, uh, but building that network of people, you know, makes you stronger. So you, you know, no man or woman is an island. It's you know, you really need input and ideas from everywhere. Which number? Which number are we moving to next? So next we're going to go to 1726. It's an imperial breakfast stout. John, why don't you nose that first? And I mean, you <laughs> I are heard stout somebody a, said John's that. John's a stout oh, aficionado. Really like so, and I think there's something <laughs> somewhere in a barrel somewhere. Yes. A Buffalo Trace barrel, to be exact. So it's an imperial stout that I actually um, condition on cold brew coffee. We actually cold brew our own coffee. I have a massive French press that I actually brew our own coffee in. Um, this is a beer I just want to nose all day. This is, <laughs> this is, I just yeah. sit here, I'll just keep <laughs> nosing this. It. It's really good. Like, <laughs> like if you made a candle out of this, I'd be very happy. Try it now before I hold on. <laughs> so you'll find even with that, I mean, it's a 9% beer. It is still a smooth. Creamy smooth. Creamy. Everything we've had so far, creamy smooth. Right. It's not thin. It's got a wonderful mouthfeel. Mm -hmm. I get, so I like, um, creamy, you know, I'll put oat milk in my coffee. And I want to thank you or whoever I should thank. You're the brewer. Mm -hmm. But I want to thank you for making a coffee stout that tastes like coffee. Exactly. Not, hey, we got this bitter essence that we call it a coffee. It's a coffee stout. Did you want to try this too? Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to fight you for it. <laughs> I will fight you. That's, That's all right. Everything, everything you find here is used, real ingredients everywhere. 
There is there there are no extracts. There are no syrups. There is no goop chucked into these. It is pumpkins not. were harmed in the making of our pumpkin. It's real pumpkin. pumpkin. Great. We, yeah. It's it's not bad enough, Steve, that you're in New Jersey when they're monitoring every move you make. <laughs> now the pumpkin <laughs> people are going to be on top. <laughs> but they were free range pumpkins. Yeah, right. Okay, they, they were. were happy they, had a happy they were. Life, yeah. They had their shots. I don't know. <laughs> that is delicious. I'm glad you like it. I appreciate it. You know, we talked about briefly, we're in New Jersey. How are you working to navigate through some of the legislation that has come out or lack of legislation, so to speak? The community has been very supportive. We've, you know, provided outreach to our customer base. Uh, local assemblymen and women and freeholders have come and had conversations, and that has gone back to the state level. Uh, we've been in conversation with the Brewers Guild, which is actively promoting to you know, change the rules. Uh, we don't want the Wild West uh, here in New Jersey. Uh, it's a good, robust brewing organization. Uh, but, you know, yes, the, I think some of the rules are a little tight. Uh, and that did scare away some of our customer base customer base because they, they knee-jerk reaction. No, New Jersey shut down all their breweries. And all of a sudden, you know, nobody was having beer in our breweries because it's all closed down. No, it's not. It's, we're all open for business. There are food trucks that do come to, to places nearby. There are activities that we continue to do. Uh, some of them are events, and those are notified to the uh, ABC. Uh, so we're still business as usual. It's just I think the rules are a little bit restrictive, and we're working together as a cohesive organization to you know, reduce those to be a little bit less restrictive. It's been about, I guess... 10, 11 months since a lot of these things kicked in or were recognized and have been more enforced, you're on the ground. You're working all the time with the legislature to try to get some things changed and improved. Are you seeing, you know, are you seeing things come together a little bit to where you're seeing a, maybe a, a light at the end of the tunnel or, or is it still stagnant? No, it, it's active. We were on the phone yesterday while driving back home from the brewery, uh, talking to the Brewers Guild. Um, there is legislation. There were multiple bills that were put up, and it was decided to put them together. And this is what they're doing is stitching them together, and there's likely to be on the floor voting in January. The other trick is recognizing the people that did create those bills and making sure that their names are on it so they get the recognition as well. So there is there's a little bit of that. So it does take time. Things don't move, you know quickly in, a, in, in bureaucracy, but it, but it looks like there will be actually some votes happening early next year. And we're, we're encouraged, and it's bipartisan. Uh, I think both sides really want to be pro-business and help support the Brewing Committee, which we're, we're number six ranked in terms of tax revenue for the state, So and we bring in a lot of tourism dollars, and tourism dollars is great because that's not cannibalizing your own, you know, residents in New Jersey. It's people coming from Pennsylvania, coming from New York. No, you're right across the river from Easton. So if you're doing a little bit of a tour of the Lehigh Valley, I mean, you're on the Lehigh Valley Ale Trail or Lehigh Valley Mm -hmm. uh, Beer Discovery Trail. So you're you're part of that. And look, I know for Dawn and I, um, yes, if there's food available, we are going to stay a little longer Mm -hmm. because it's very difficult to just drink beer and on an empty stomach, as you know. Mm -hmm. Right. And sixth, in terms of tax revenue, if people don't want to, you know, venture out across the border, it limits your sales. And then here's what I would say. They're missing out on phenomenal beer. 
And, you know, they still may come out, but I think that for what New Jersey should recognize is, and it's not just New Jersey, there are quite of other restrictive states. We're just in New Jersey now and talking about them. Look, if you get better, more people come to visit your brewery. If more people come to visit your brewery, who benefits? Everybody. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're. It's not like you're absolutely. You know, you're this clandestine. You know, brewery that opens up and doesn't pay your taxes, and right. you know, opens up for a couple hours and you know shoves you know stuff out the back door while people are paying attention to the front door. You're not doing that. Yep. You're honest. You're upfront, and you're making a great product. So right now, if you look at per capita craft brewery sales by state, uh, number one I think is Oregon. Number two is Colorado, and Pennsylvania is number three. New Jersey's number 46. We're competing with Alabama and Utah, which is a Mormon state. So, yes, our laws are, are a little bit too restrictive and needs to be relaxed a little bit. But, no, I do not want to have the Wild West. Also, right across the street, walking distance is a pizza restaurant, which before we came, where they were considering closing down. We opened. Their business is up 30%. People call from this brewery and say, hey, I want a pizza. The service walk it over here and drop it over on their table, get their get paid and their tips, and they go back. They're happy. They don't have to come and ask for more forks and spoons and a glass of water. Uh, and they're busy doing their business. So they have a liquor license. They're delighted we're across the street from them. Look and at the impact on the local economy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. And had you and I, you know, had you not come home at 14 with a homebrew kit, that pizza place wouldn't be there. Right. There and we have two chefs vying for one of the spaces in our building now because they would like to be even closer to our brewery. So... And I see a sour there. There's a sour. There's a sour. <laughs> sour so as, as I mentioned before, that uh, that sour, Keep It Coming, is our birthday beer. Um, it is a raspberry lemon sour. Like I said, everything is real ingredients. These are real raspberries. There's real lemon peel in there. So it's Tribute good to Casey and the yeah. Sunshine Band? <laughs> no? <laughs> keep it coming. Keep it just, coming. Just is, say, is, I want more. I want more. Right, keep exactly. it coming. So, so that was, that's our birthday beer, and I wanted to name it something. Hey, we're, we're on a roll here. We want to keep this going kind of thing. Um, that's kind of where the name came from that. Lemony. Right. Real lemons. Real lemons. Real. Peeled on this table. By, <laughs> by hand. By four hours. I'm, yes. looking, I'm looking in the cracks for more lemon. <laughs> no, that's what stands out. Really. Like, it's just a wonderful, oily, lemony experience that just lingers with, with the effervescence or the essence of just the sour coming through. Yeah. And you get that floral oh, yeah. from the raspberry. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is delicious. And I can see why you do this as your anniversary yep. beer. So you've done this particular so that recipe, recipe each year. We do every single year. Um, it only comes out once a year for release on our birthday, beginning of October. Um, oh, I, sorry, Dawn. <laughs> so and what, and yeah. part of the fun of that is, is, is also a beautiful Invertase red color, which is, which is kind of part of the fun there as well. But, so Invertase red meaning the MSP? Is that what it is? The MSP? PMS. No? PMS. PMS. PMS code, yeah. I, I always feel uncomfortable saying that, but... Um, <laughs> as close as the beer allows, put it that way. But. Okay. What's the future for Invertase? I mean, we talked about wanting to stay in a comfort level, being happy. Look, I see this where people get to really interact with you on a, when you're open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The brewer's here. The owners are here. You really... You know, involved in people's experience here. This must be fun for you, but where do you see this growing or what's the future look like? I mean, I saw four barrels back there. 
Yes. Uh, so we, we do have a fledgling barrel program that we've been working on for the past few years. Um, one of the really cool, interesting, exciting things that is on the way is we're actually kicking off a wild ale program as well. Um, that'll be going into the barrel room. Um, really, really exciting stuff going on there. That's a very long-term project. Um, that's getting into the super traditional artisanal craft stuff that I can geek out on for years over. So for those that are about an hour or more away lodging for us to stay at to enjoy all these things that you're going to be producing? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, well, we have a pull-out couch. <laughs> but uh, so things like that, of course. Um, I love that. That's getting awesome. into really amazing tradition stuff, uh, things like that is, is really something I've been, I've been tweaking and making notes and tasting and running around, um, doing things like that, of course. Um, always doing new and exciting beer releases. Um, right now we have 10 beers on tap. Those generally rotate quite a bit. Um, seasonal things, new things. I sit around and, and walk through the beer store and say, what's, what's on the shelves? What's going on? Um, what can we do in the space that's, that's new and exciting, fun? Um, always releasing new things. Um, I generally don't promise beers until they're released. Which is why I'm I know you. I asked you what was in the uh, fundamenters, and, and you're like, I can't tell you. That that again is part of my homage to Treehouse. They will not let you even see what cans they have sitting next to their canning line. It's it's when the beer is ready, when the brewer says it's ready. Now it's now everyone can have it. Um, I generally like to let the beer speak for itself. Um, we're very sciencey and detail oriented, and, and and have our processes down. But at the end of the day, the beer's in charge. If, if you're not making good beer and you're not letting the beer talk to you, it's, it's not going to work out. So allowing the beers to talk to you and say, okay, now I'm ready. Now you can, now you can share me with the world. Um, that's part of the fun, too, is I get to be a little bit secretive. And everybody goes, what's, what's going on? And trying to sneak around and look at what grains we have and that kind of stuff. Um, I want to correct you on one thing. You're not making good beer. You're making great beer. I appreciate that. And... This beer, I mean, I can see where your flagship comes in. Mm-hmm. I can see why this is for you. This is an, this is an anniversary uh, special uh, where people look forward to enjoying that sour. And I think it's exciting. And, you know, for us on our fermented adventure, Amy Manoff of Manoff Market and Cidery introduced us to you or you to us. Mm-hmm. And... Just the ability to find and be introduced to new and exciting and just overall creative, wonderful people is fun for us. To sit down and talk about some beer and your process and to learn the history of what you're doing, I mean, this makes our day. And I can see if you're in the Phillipsburg, New Jersey area, which is right across from Easton, which is down the street from Bethlehem, which is not too far from Allentown. This is some place you want to put on your list of, of, of places. And I'm not sure. Now we're in New Jersey. So I don't know. I don't know what's south or what's north or what's <laughs> east. Or if we go west, we're in the water. So I don't know where, where to go. But, you know, you really, if, if you're interested in trying quality and you're interested in, in really a great experience, I, I'm, I'm trying to picture, we're closed now, I'm just trying to picture the space when you're doing that trivia night um, or, um, you know, firearm training that you want to bring <laughs> in, I don't know. <laughs> so, so, bands, and uh, so a kind of a shot over the bout of victory. So, victory, I was revving up here uh, in the wintertime last year. 
and uh, Victory was uh, the DJ on the radio was talking that Victory had done a collaboration with the band Sticks. Uh, they put we're talking Victory Brewing Company. Yes. Okay. So they put out a, a they, they they connected with Sticks and they were talking about a collaboration and they put out a, they made a special beer for Sticks and um, and it's out and for stores. And I got here and I said. Well, if they can do that, we can do that. And we have a house band. We call them our house band. They're a really good 80s cover band. They're called the Big Fuss. And they open our beer garden in the spring. They play in the summer. And they also play again to close our beer garden in the fall. And they're just fantastic guys. And they play, they heart and soul. They really put it out and really well. So I picked up the phone and I called the, you know, the lead in that band, James. And I said, so Victory's got a, a, you know, a beer with sticks. Do you guys have a brewing contract with somebody? And they're like, what? And I said, why don't you come down here and sit with the brewmaster and we will make you the Big Fuss beer. So they came and went, sat down and did a collaboration and put out a, because they love Hazy New Englands, and we made a beer called the Big Fuss beer and went to next, at the grand opening in the spring, they had the Big Fuss beer launch here with the band and every time they come to play, there's always their beer on tap. Yeah. And so they, they were here earlier in the month, so it's back on the tap list right now. <laughs> Although, if Paul McCartney called and said, I want a beer on the tap, that would, would that get bumped or would I, that still no, be there? I <laughs> might brew a beer named for Paul. I don't know. <laughs> it would but, be a number. Maybe. Number nine. <laughs> number, number nine. nine. <laughs> number nine. <laughs> so, but no, we really love and support that band, and we thought that would be a good thing. And they were just very emotionally taken by the fact that they thought they were just a knucklehead, you know, bar band, and next thing you know, now they have a beer named after them, and it was, and it's been a great relationship with them. I love that, and you know, we met uh, Becky with Catoctin Creek, and they're a distillery, but they do the same thing with the collaboration with the band that they have. Mm-hmm. That's community. Exactly. That's what you're doing here. Yeah. You're bringing parts and pieces of the community, and you're recognizing that with your personality. And I think that's so much fun. I can't wait to put the beer garden opening on our calendar and come out and see all the new hops that are sprouting and Mm -hmm. the the train line that comes by and the guy that jumps the fence and, uh, you know, (laughs) leaves the train idling while he gets a beer. (laughs) It has happened. Yep. That's so much fun. Is there anything on the podcast that we haven't talked about? Things that you want people to know about? We are family oriented here. So if you've got kids, small kids, bring them. We've got root beer that we do. You give out kids for those that don't have kids. I mean, is that how it works? We have dog. We have a dog. We will rent you out a dog. Okay. We are dog friendly. So if you've got a friendly dog, come with a dog on leash. We'll happily take them inside or outside. Um, We've got root beer, our own house brewed root beer on tap for small children or DDs or women that are pregnant that haven't disclosed to their husbands. We've caught. We've actually sussed out three times. Three times. Why are you ordering the root beer? (laughs) You love IPAs. But we also expand. So uh, we also self-distribute into liquor stores uh, slowly and carefully. We want to be careful with our brand. Um, We own about 15 or 18 stores and several restaurants, including a high-end one in Lemberville that's about to open in a couple weeks. It's called T54 high-end Italian restaurant. Uh, we have just uh, signed on to be at the Clinton Farmer's Market on Saturday mornings to do uh, to, to sell beer there. Uh, and we also support local events. We support uh, the uh, uh, Greenwich Rescue Squad um, had a big uh, Oktoberfest, and we supported and poured beers there, and we support Phillipsburg where we do... Um, uh, they do a big pork roll palooza every fall, and uh, we were up there pouring beers up there. So, again, community, local areas, we're out and about, and, you know, farmer's markets and liquor stores. All right. We have dibs on the couch. 
next time we come here. You pull out. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a friend That's of Fermented funny. Adventure. We are so grateful that we have been introduced to you. We are now, you know, new fans, um, le legitimately. And I, I say that with respect because the, you know, what you're doing is brewing beer. Mm -hmm. And the beer is delicious. You come for the beer, but when you come and meet Karen, Stephen, and Steve, and the rest of the gang here at Invertase Brewing, you're going to become fans too. I can see it happening, and now I can see how you've grown three years, five years, ten years, and you know, ongoing to where you're you're growing and really building this this communal space, this this space in Phillipsburg and the surrounding area where people want to come and they just want to have fun. And just enjoy themselves. And that's what you provide. So thank you very much for that time today. Thanks for sharing your beer. And we uh, can't wait to see all the great things that are coming out of the, the tanks, of which we can't find out what's it's in on the way. <laughs> coming soon. Thanks, thank guys. You. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.